All right. What's up, family? You guys doing all right today? Everybody good? All right. Thirteen of you are good, are happy to be in church today. That's, this is going to be a really fun service. Come on. How many of you guys are thankful for God? It's good to be in a good church, presence of God this morning. First week of school down, praise Jesus. Kids are back in, hitting their stride and routine. I hope it went well for everybody. Uh, before we get started, I want to let you guys know that my wife and I are going to be celebrating 14 years of marriage this next week. And so, come on. Yep. It is getting serious. So, we'll keep you updated. I'm thankful for her. My wife certainly one of the people that has helped me in my personal relationship with God. And, and maybe in some ways more than any other person, but I will say that she's not the only one. Um, throughout my life, I have made the decision to position myself around other godly men. And we have decided to position ourselves around other godly couples that will help us in our journey, help us, encourage us, strengthen us, hold us accountable, challenge us, remind us of God's word. And what it says about us. Today we're going to be talking about the most important thing in our church. And that's life groups. Who we are as a church. This last week in our, our one year Bible reading, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. I want to read through this. The human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles, some of us are slaves, some of us are free, some of us are Baptists, some of us are Methodists, some of us are Pentecostals, some of us are Presbyterians, some of us are Assemblies of God, some of us are Church of Christ, some of us are Catholics. We got a little bit of everything here. But all these things make up the body of Christ. And we've been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not the eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it only had one part. Kind of a funny visualization there. Just a nose walking around. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, Some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. You ever notice that that sometimes if you hurt your physical body, the rest of your body, like everything, all the rest of the parts of your body give full attention to that one part of the body that's hurt. You guys ever heard of Chacos? Anybody heard of Chacos before? These sandals, okay? I like, I like Chacos. I've been wearing Chacos for a long time. But this is what I noticed about Chacos. Chacos are great on your feet. But if you've ever taken a pair of Chacos, put them side by side, and place them somewhere in your house in the dark, Chacos become 
straps of tripping death. And if you happen to ever be walking around in the dark and catch your little toe in your chacos, it will create pain in you that you did not know could exist in the human body. It is amazing when you stub or break one of your toes, especially your little toe, all of a sudden, nothing else in the world matters. And the entire world and all the effort, love, and compassion that it could possibly muster needs to come and give attention to your little pinky toe. Everybody needs to know. The question is this. What is the pain that exists in this body? And are we giving it enough attention? Whatever it is, is it important enough to us that we can see it, that we're giving it the focus and the love and the compassion? If I were to ask you, what's the greatest issue emotionally in our society? What's the biggest thing that we're struggling with? What would it be? Some of you might say, well, it's got to be depression, right? It's got to be anxiety. It's got to be guilt. Sociologists would tell you, though, that the biggest issue that our culture and society is dealing with is loneliness. Loneliness. Now, here's the thing, though. I, I don't necessarily think that we're symptomatically lonely. I think, really, what happens with most of us is we're symptomatically busy, and we try to medicate our loneliness through media, through technology, If you think about it, man, cell phones, man, they have transformed. There's so much positive that has happened through smartphones. So much positive has happened. But but I think it's also put us in a place where maybe we're not really as connected relationally as we think. And some of you say, no, no, I'm so connected. I'm so connected. Like, I am the definition of a instant snap twit face person. Like, I, I, I got it all. I got it going on. I'm connected. I got friends everywhere. They like all my stuff, and they friend me, and it's awesome. But are those real relationships? Remember when you used to go to the DMV, how annoying it was? Like, you walk in, you take the number, you look at the number that's up there, you realize you're going to spend a good portion of your life in that place. But I think now if you go to the DMV and you interview some people and you ask them how bothered they are to be there, I would guess most of them are not nearly as bothered as they used to be. Because they got this. Like, oh, I'm just going to catch up on my social media. Got to get to that next level in Candy Crush. Got to annoy all my friends by inviting them to play Candy Crush. I got things to do. And even if you walk into a place, any public place really, and you're looking around, you got your number, but now you got to sit down. Everybody keeps two seats in between them and the other person. But that means you got to pick one of those seats. You got to decide which one of the weird looking people you're going to sit next to today. At first, you might be really nervous, but you're not too nervous because as soon as you sit down, you can just take out your security blanket. And this is the international symbol for I'm not interested in talking to you. I don't have to engage with you. 
I don't have to ask you what your name is. I don't have to find out anything about you because I'm on this with my friends. And so what's happened is so much of our relationships have become simulated relationships. Not real relationships. They're, they're simulated. You think about it, we got simulated everything. we got simulated smiley faces. we got simulated laughter, LOL. How many of you, when you've seen something and you're in public, you've actually ever laughed out loud? I have. It's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> Sitting around Starbucks or somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> LOL. <laughs> I literally laughed out loud. But most of us don't um, because so much of our interaction it's not real. It's simulated. I know with young people, dating relationships that started, existed, and ended through texting. That's easy. <laughs> that doesn't take a lot of work. It doesn't take a lot of effort and sacrifice. You know, the corporate world, man, they figured this out. And their marketing strategies, they figured this out. They figured out what sells is the idea of strong relationships. The idea of having a social life. That's what sells. So beer commercials, for instance, they know they can't sell the taste. They can't sell the taste. There's no way they can sell the taste of beer. So what they do is they sell the relationships. So you're sitting there watching a beer commercial like, man, look at all those cool-looking supermodel people that have these close, intimate relationships as they all hang out drinking their carbonated toilet water with a shot of perfume. <laughs> I've got to get some of that. And then I'll have lots of friends. And we'll just hang out and party all the time. And we'll be so happy and joyful and full of life. The world's figured out that the world is not lonely and so they sell the fake concepts of relationships. God does not want you to be alone. God doesn't want you to be alone from the very beginning of the earth. Think about it. God made Adam, all the animals, the whole world, man. Everything seemed to be perfect. Like no headaches, no in-laws, no clothes. Perfect. But then God comes and says that out of everything that he created that was good and it was good and it was good and it was good, the one thing that was not good was for Adam to be alone. That's not good. He gave him someone to have a relationship with. I will say, I think the one good thing we got out of the fall of man was clothing. I'm thankful for that. Because you're the second service. <laughs> Someone sat in that seat before you. <laughs> Moving on. So why life groups? Why life groups? Well, your faith and your dreams fade when you're alone. Your faith and your dreams fade when you're alone. Ecclesiastes 4 and 9. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If any one of them falls down, the other one can help the other up. 
but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help him up. What are you dreaming about right now that if God doesn't help you, you're not going to make it? You're not going to accomplish the dream. I know so many people are incredibly gifted, and I believe that God has given them a dream, a God-given dream. But the fact of the matter is this. As long as they think that they're going to accomplish that dream by themselves, they'll never accomplish the dream. Because God-given dreams are always going to be way more than you can accomplish on your own. You're going to have to have him, and you're going to have to have the greatest way that he manifests himself, and that's through relationships. There's no other way that you can accomplish your dream other than through relationship. We, we tend to drift when we're alone, and dreams fade when we're alone. Most people, they, they fall into a few different categories when it comes to how they dream in their life. There's, there's those that, that don't have a dream at all. When you don't have a dream, man, it's the most discouraging, depressing thing because your life just amounts to stats of time and how you use that time. Here's some of the stats. If Without a dream, just over 20 years of your life at work, over 20 years of your life sleeping, six months of your life at Walmart, some of you much, much more than that because you haven't figured out. You can order online, baby, and just go pick it up. Come on, Jesus. Moving in Walmart. Six months of your life at traffic lights without a dream? It's just stats. How you spend your time. Those with a low dream, or, or those that, that dream backwards is another way. The low dream, I don't think anybody starts with the low dream. If you got a dream, you didn't start with the low dream. When you were 15 years old, maybe you got saved, and you're just full of passion. You're like, man, I'm, I'm going to go to... I'm going to go to every country I can, and I'm going to go into jungles, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm just going to, it's going to be incredible, and you're so excited. And then right around 50 years old, you're like, maybe this year we'll go to Branson. <laughs> maybe. And maybe we'll play some shuffleboard, and I'll wear my calf-high black socks with my brown spurs. What a dream. Or those that dream backwards. People that just kind of live their life in the rearview mirror. They're not dreaming about what could be. They're just too busy not with nightmares of what happened. And if you, if you live in the nightmare of the past, you can't move into the dream of your future that God has for you. There's a quote. At one point or another, you have to give up all hope of a better yesterday. And start dreaming forward. There's also those that just have the wrong dream. Just the wrong dream. They got a dream, but it's, it's something that they want. Something that they want in their own pride will put you in this spot a lot of times. Samson was this way. You know, God gave him this purpose and this dream. But he decided he just wanted to do things on his own. He had the wrong dream. And then there's those with God's dream. And what does God's dream look like? Well, first and foremost, the most important thing for you to ever understand is that God's dream, first and foremost, is for you to understand your identity in him. His number one dream is for you to know who you are as a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, for you to, to find your contentment, your fulfillment, everything that you are in him. That's his first dream, but it's connected to the second part, and that is for his kingdom to be built. His first dream is for you to know who you are, and out of the overflow of you knowing who you are, it pours into relationships with other people. 
and that you are connected in those relationships, operating within your gifts and talents that he gave you for this purpose to build his kingdom. That is God's dream. It's for intimacy and to give intimacy away to build his kingdom. That's his dream. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you're doing. Number two, why life groups? Because we need you. By the way, you need us. We need you. But you need us. There's a story that demonstrates this very clearly, I think, in Luke chapter 5, verse 18. Some of the men took a man who was not able to move his body to Jesus. He was carried on a bed. And they looked for a way to get the man into the house where Jesus was, but they could not find a way to take him in because of so many people. At one point or another, you need a team because you're not smart enough on your own. You need some brain power. You're going to need somebody who can come along and have ideas birthed in the Holy Spirit that's going to help you to get into a place that you can't get in by yourself but it's going to take people to do this. They made a hole in the roof over where Jesus stood. The desperation. Like, I don't even care. This is not their house. How would you like that? You're having a meeting in your house, all of a sudden, they're... <laughs> they didn't care. This is with their friend. They're going to get him close to Jesus. They let the bed of the sick man down before Jesus. And when Jesus saw whose faith? Whose faith? Whose faith? I'm sorry. I've got 40% of the people that are listening to me. Whose faith? Thank you. That's so much better. I appreciate that. Was it his faith? It was the faith of his friends. He said, friend, your sins are forgiven. So let's ask some questions. What are you not able to do on your own? There's an area of your life that you can't move. Who are you carrying? Who are you carrying? Who is around you in your life that is paralyzed? That you're carrying? Who is looking for a way to bring you closer to God? And who are you looking for to bring closer to God that you're passionate about? Does Jesus see the faith of your friends to the point where they will move on your behalf? Well, you've got to have the friends there for him to see their faith to do it. You've got to be connected in relationship. You can't free yourself when you're all alone. When you're stuck and no one's there, you don't get unstuck. You've got to have somebody show up to help you get unstuck. One of the questions that I think about is why would anybody not want to be involved in a life group at our church? Well, I know some of the excuses. Here's some of the excuses. We'll call the first one naivety. Although there's a lot more aggressive way I'd like to call this, I feel nice today, so I'm going to be nice, and we'll just call it naivety. But these are the people that think that they know, but they don't know. 
They, they think they know what's going on, but they don't really know. They don't know what life groups. They just think that they know, but they don't think that they need it because they think that they know even though they don't know. And they just get prideful. The late Muhammad Ali, at one point, he was sitting on a plane. They're getting ready to take off. The stewardess came up and said, excuse me, sir, I need you to buckle your seatbelt. The listener says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. So the stewardess just politely looks at him and kindly says, well, that might be true, sir, but Superman also doesn't need a plane. So <laughs> please buckle up. I think some of you don't realize <laughs> you're sitting in a plane. You don't think that you need your seatbelt, but you're being reckless. You just don't see it. Another excuse, temperament. It's temperament. Small groups are not for me. James, I'm glad you like people. I don't really like people. I don't want to be around people. I don't really want to go to somebody's house and sit around and talk. That's just not my thing. This would be my suggestion. It's very practical. Drive over to Home Depot. I'm not sure what aisle it's on, but find a ladder, climb it, and get over it. Because at one point or another, the excuse that your personality doesn't match up with the plan of God is just not going to fly. Because I can't see anywhere in the scripture that we opened up with it says, as long as your personality fits with the body of Christ, then be a part of it. But if it's not your thing, then you don't have to. Please, please, don't use that as your excuse. Another excuse, fear. Now, I get this one a little bit. Fear of going to a life group. Why would they have a fear? Because Christians can be mean and weird. (laughs) You know, some of you, you know you're the weird Christian. The problem is, actually, you don't know that you're the weird Christian. And that's why you need a life group so somebody can love you enough to tell you that you're a weird Christian. (laughs) Because you're giving all of us a bad rap. But your fear is this, you're going to show up to the life group, you're going to be like, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to walk in there, there's going to be a living room, and there's going to be a circle of chairs. There's going to be one chair in the middle, and that's my chair. And they're going to sit me in that chair, and then I'm going to have to confess every sin that I've ever committed in my whole life. And then one of them is going to bring a cross and some sort of weird cooking oil and splatter it all over me and try to cast demons out of me. I know that's what's going to happen, and at the end they're going to serve Kool-Aid, and that's all. Now here's the thing, I can't say for certain that we don't have a weird life group like that. But if you find yourself in that weird life group, just do what Pastor Rick says and crawfish your way out of there. Because there is a life group that is for you. But don't use fear as your excuse. C.S. Lewis said, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. Real relationships at New Life Church are birthed when you make the decision to walk across the room and join a group and open yourself up. And open yourself up. 2 Corinthians 4.2, message translation. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open. We don't have time to play games. Another reason, past experiences, just past experiences, you know, just your past sin, your, your shame, the condemnation from those things, you're just in that place, you know. 
Or you can't move past it. Paul, Paul related to that. He says, you know what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. And I just keep doing it. But he also says that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You've got to get in Christ Jesus, though, to get out of condemnation. The greatest demonstration of Christ Jesus in your life is going to be his body. You can't say, I like church, and I don't like the bride of Christ. You came to my home and said, I love your home, but your wife, I'm not crazy about her. I'd probably knock you out. (laughs) We need the body of Christ. In in Revelations, it says that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. You see, the sad thing is that some of you, you have that past, but at this point, it's only a story. The only time that it becomes a testimony is that by faith, you find somebody that you can trust, that you know is going to protect you and cover you, and you communicate it to them, whatever your past is. At that point, under the blood of Jesus, that's when you get a testimony. At this point, you're not an overcomer. You can't be an overcomer. Just by the blood of the Lamb. You're an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. And you've got to share it with somebody for it to be a testimony. So you need a life group where your story can become a testimony. That's pretty good stuff. Another excuse, busyness. And I think this is probably the biggest one that we struggle with. And it leads me into my last point. We need to be purposeful in relationships. We have to be purposeful in relationships. Look, everyone ends up somewhere relationally. All of you are going to wind up somewhere relationally. But very few people wind up somewhere relationally on purpose. You see, every meaningful relationship that is ever going to happen in your life is going to happen on purpose. If I'm going to have a good relationship with my four kids, four individual personalities, very different, very very different. The only way that I'm going to have a relationship with them is I have to purpose to spend time with them individually. The only way my relationship with my wife is going to be strong the way God intended for it to happen, I have to purpose to spend relationship with her. It's not going to happen on accident. And I don't know of one meaningful relationship that has ever happened in someone's life when they are traveling at Mach 3 through life. It's impossible You're moving too fast. I have a very strong personality. One of the things I'm constantly working on is that I don't move too fast through a crowd. That I slow down. So I'm usually on mission. I'm thinking about doing something, thinking about accomplishing something. But you've got to slow down. As you're reading through the one-year Bible, every once in a while in Psalms, you'll see this word selah. That word selah means to stop, pause, rest. And I think the Father heart of God is screaming out to some of you that you need to say law. You need to stop, slow down, focus, rest in Him. Slow down. It's not going to happen, though, if you don't purpose to do this. We are growing as a church. We have not slowed down growing as a church. We're probably not going to slow down growing as a church. And you have to be intentional about finding relationships. You have to make it a purpose in your life. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, it says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That word opportunity, it's a favorable moment. Relationships happen when you see the favorable moment and you purpose to take hold of it with everything that you have. 1 Peter 4, 7 says this, the end of things is near. Hello, 
Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, just a little hint here. Anytime the word of God says above all, pay attention. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to anyone without grumbling. Hmm. Your 2,500 friends that you have through social media are never going to love you deeply. 99% of them, they're never going to love you deeply. And you can't love them deeply. I don't care how witty you are. I don't care how many memes you find. I don't care what kind of verses you post on there, how many videos you share, how many songs. All those things are fine, but that's not going to love somebody deeply. You got to sit face to face with them. Let them get their ugly cry on and love them through it. It happens in relationship. Man, I hate that I'm running out of time because I could talk about this for a long time. Here's the thing as your pastor, for any of you that call me your pastor, for those of you that call New Life Church your home, and I know some of you, you're not even sure if this is going to be your home church. And I know this is much more of a, maybe a believer's talk. Those of you that don't know Jesus, I want to give you a chance here in just a second to meet him. But the thing that that drives me crazy is this. I've said this before. That we could have a service and, and have incredible worship. We have great worship. And somebody could walk in this building and feel welcome and greeted because we have people that love this church and it's changed their lives. And so they're nice and they're kind and they want to make sure that people feel welcome and received. But that somebody could experience those things and, and hear the word of God and then walk out of here and think that is enough. You cannot successfully grow in relationship with God one service a week. It just doesn't happen. This isn't that good. And the truth is, some of you only come to church a couple times a month. This is what I would ask of you. If you only have time, and you only have the margin to make time for the church one or two times a month, make your priority to go to a life group, not a service. I would much rather you go to a life group than come to this service if that's all that you have time for. Because at the end of the day, We just cannot be a half-commissioned church. We cannot be a church that effectively preaches the gospel but does not effectively disciple people. And discipleship happens in life groups. We just can't be that. As we get into this new building, it's freaking me out. And people ask, are you excited for your building? It's hard for me to answer that question. So this is what I've come to. I'm cautiously optimistic. Because, yeah, I'm excited. We have to build walls sometimes to make more room for souls. But the moment that people think that what we're about is those walls and not the relationships that exist outside of them, I'd rather burn it to the ground. Because that is not the body of Christ. That is not the church. The church is not a flipping building it's every part and every person connected working together to build relationship individually 
to build the kingdom of God. If you believe that, give the Lord a hand. Come on now. Close your eyes, bow your heads. I just want to promise you this. If you get into a life group, I promise you're going to be prayed for. You're going to learn more about who Jesus is. You're going to be known and you're going to be cared for. It's one thing to say, this church is cool. It's another thing to say, in a life group, my marriage was healed. In a life group, I learned how to love my kids better. In a life group, I learned more about God's love. In a life group, I found freedom. That's what changes lives. If you're here today and you feel like you're away from God, maybe because you've never accepted a relationship with him through his son, Jesus, Maybe you just feel distant from him right now. and You need to come back to him. You need to rededicate your life. I want to give you a chance to respond to him. If that's you, nobody looking around, and I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise. But I want to know who I'm praying with. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? As soon as I see you, put it down. Got it. Thanks. Anybody else? I need a relationship with God today. I need to come back to Jesus. Got you there at the back. Thanks so much for being bold. Yes, ma'am. Got it. Thank you. Come on now. Christians are praying. This is important. This is the most important thing that we do. Anybody else? Okay. A couple of hands. Thank you, guys. For those that raise your hand right there in your seat, just talk to God. And in that conversation, you just admit that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself. You believe that Jesus came and he died for your sin. You ask him for forgiveness. And then you commit that you're going to give him control, that he's going to be your Lord, that you're going to be guided by his word as your standard of living. The word of God is your standard going to be led by his spirit and that you're going to commit to be connected to his body so that you can continue to grow in an understanding of his plan and purpose. The word says that if you'll believe that in your heart and then tell somebody about it, do that through water baptism, but tell somebody as you're leaving the service, tell somebody that you trust, you love, shout it from the rooftops, then you'll be saved. Father God, I pray that we, as a very small representation of your body, the church, that we would be the best part of that that we can be. And that every individual in here would see their importance in that. That we need them. And that they need us. And that we would grow together for your kingdom, for your glory for the life and life to the full that Jesus came to give us. We thank you for that promise. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.